Is there enough evidence about who you are in Christ that others would know about it? In other words, if you were put on trial for your Christian faith, would there be enough evidence to convict you? How are you advancing the kingdom? This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. The Christian faith is the only faith lived from the inside out. On our last program, David began a teaching on the parables of the mustard seed and leaven. Like the Christian faith, both of these are lessons about growth from within. Here's David with part two of his message, The Parable of the Mustard Seed. Let me give you several insights that I think both of them teach. First of all, don't despise the days of small beginnings. That's a verse from Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. Don't despise the days of of small beginnings. I love that idea because Jesus began small. Have you ever thought about the idea that God chose to put his son, his only son, in a smelly stable in an insignificant little city outside of Jerusalem to be the birthplace of the Savior of the world? I don't know about you, but if I'd been in charge, I'd had Jesus born in the halls of the Roman emperor. I'd have his birthplace as Rome, the capital city, so he could always feel like an important Roman citizen. (laughs) But God chose to be birthed in the midst of manure, in the midst of a cattle trough. (laughs) And in this, Jesus chose 12 to follow him. One of them tried to kill him. The other 11, nothing special about them. And yet those 11, uh, plus other disciples who came in, especially the Apostle Paul, grew to be 120 in the upper room. And then that 120 became 3,000. And then the whole world is touched by them. So it was a small beginning, wasn't it? It was a very small beginning, insignificant. I love the story. Uh, It's a legend, but... Supposedly, Jesus died and went to heaven, and the angels came around him and congratulated him for his faithfulness to the cross, the resurrection, the ascension into heaven. And they said, what's next? What happens now? And Jesus said, will you see those ragtag disciples down there? Yeah. They're going to take my gospel into the world, and they're going to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples and the kingdom's going to grow until I come back again. And the angels looked at Jesus. They looked down at the disciples, their lack of education, training. They looked back at Jesus. Then they said, what's plan B? And Jesus said, there is no plan B. That's the plan. It was a very small, insignificant beginning that has now a witness in most every nation on the face of this earth. Don't despise small beginnings. Hey, what's your dream in life? What do you want to do to advance the kingdom? Oh, I'm insignificant, you say. I'm sure Rosa Parks was tempted with that idea back in the 1950s when as a teenager she sat not in the back of the bus, 
but in the middle of the bus and refused to move. That small beginning set off a civil rights movement that gave equality to a group of people in our nation long overdue. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. What's your dream? What's your goal? What do you want to accomplish in life? Well, if you want to advance the kingdom, it begins with kingdom desires deeply within you. There is nothing significant that happens on this side of eternity that does not have an accompanying desire and passion within your heart. Cahil Gibran, you know who he is? Very famous writer. He gave this quote one time. I love it. He said, desire is half of life, indifference is half of death. It'll kill you. It will. Indifference is half of death. But if you have desire, you can accomplish so much in life. Socrates, the famous philosopher, was one day with a student who said, I want to learn how to be successful in life. Socrates purportedly said, you really want to learn how to be successful in life? The guy said, oh, yes, I do. So they passed by a river. Socrates said, well, get in the water with me. And he took the guy in the water, and he ducked his head underneath the water, and he held it there. And the guy starts struggling, and Socrates won't let him up. He's just about ready to turn blue. And then he pulled him out of the water. And he said, you want to be successful? The guy said, "Uh uh-huh, gasping for air. He said, well, when you want success as badly as you want your next breath, then you'll get it. What's your desire to advance the kingdom of God? So what if it's a small beginning? Who cares? Secondly, a desire to advance the kingdom starts with the heart. Remember, we've said it several times, but the Christian faith is from the inside out, not the outside in. Every other religion in the world is from the outside in. It's people trying to work hard to please God so that God will then give them blessings. Every single one. You do the comparative world's religion study. The only faith that stands juxtaposed to that idea of working from the outside in to change the heart is the Christian faith, which says, no, that's not our faith. The Christian faith is the only world's religion where people are transformed from the inside out. It's about the mustard seed, the gospel penetrating our hearts and then slowly but surely growing daily, monthly, yearly. It's like a piece of leaven, imperceptible almost by the human eye, put into a loaf of bread, and the loaf of bread doesn't have a chance. It starts spreading and growing larger and larger every single day, every single month, and every single year. It's the desire of the heart. 
And when the gospel of grace and the word of God penetrates the heart, you'll never be the same. And if you're serious with a passion and a desire to love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and might, you'll change. I'll never forget the guy who came into my office one time. And he was so depressed. He'd received Jesus several months earlier. And he was so discouraged. He sat down in a chair and he said, I'm just getting nowhere. I'm praying. I'm reading my Bible. I'm trying to serve. I'm trying to love my wife and my kids. I'm doing the best I know how. I know the grace that invaded my heart. I'm really a changed person, but I just don't think I'm getting anywhere. I don't think I'm really growing. Well, I prayed for him and assured him that Philippians 1.6 passage that he who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it, that God is able to do that kind of thing. We prayed and hugged, and then he left. Amazingly, right after he left, my assistant said, I've got a phone call for you. Went back into my office, grabbed it real quickly. It was this guy's wife. And she wanted to say to me, thank you so much for what you've done for my husband. His life is so dramatically different, I can't believe it. I've never felt so loved and so encouraged by him. He's being a dad to my children, and he stopped drinking. You know, maybe Jesus doesn't change water into wine anymore, she said, but I can tell you this, Mud, he's changed his alcohol into money for our kids. And I sat there and just started laughing to myself. Here he is thinking, I'm not getting anywhere. And he can't really see it, nor can you that much. You know why? Because you're living in your own skin. But I bet if you're really serious about loving God and the gospel of grace has penetrated your heart, there will be change. There has to be. And my bet is those who live closest to you are seeing it. Now, it is a progressive holiness. It does not happen overnight, just like the mustard seed takes time to grow into of eight to 12 foot tree, just like the leaven takes time to expand that loaf. But if the kingdom of heaven has entered your heart and there's a deep desire within you, your heart is changing, it has to, by the power of the gospel. That's what Paul meant in Romans in 1.16 when he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't speak for you, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is my life. It is what I preach breathlessly and with all energy I have. Because Paul then goes on to say, it is the power of God unto salvation. It's what changes human hearts. It's the only hope I know for this world in which we live. When the true gospel enters your heart and you're passionate about it, there will be life change. There has to be. Pablo Casals was a famous cellist, was one of the best in the world. Did you know he practiced every day, even when he was 95 years old? Someone finally went to him and said, Mr. Casals, you're the best in the world. Why are you practicing daily the cello? And he said, well, I think I'm making some progress. I think... I'm making some progress. If you've invited Jesus to come into your heart and the gospel of grace has really rooted itself deep within you, I think you're making some progress.
but it starts in the heart and then manifests itself outwardly with fruit for the glory of the kingdom of God. So kingdom growth starts in the heart. And third and finally, the kingdom will continue to grow until Jesus returns. Now, first of all, may I remind all of you that Jesus is going to return one day. Now, you may not believe that, but first of all, he said so clearly. In these parables, we see that reality again and again. Last week in the parable of the wheat and the tares, he'll come again, and the angels of heaven who come with him will separate the wheat and the tares. He told us not to try to do it because the roots of the wheat and the tares are so intermingled, we can't start pulling out people whom we think are or aren't Christians. Don't do it, Jesus said. Leave that to my angels, the harvesters, who will do that at the end time. But he said, I'll come back with my angels. So he is coming back one day. But the truth is, uh, until he comes back, this kingdom is going to grow and has grown. Now, you may hear from some people Well, the church is being overcome by Islam. Now, I don't want to deny that Islam's growing. In many cases, Islam's growing by the sword and not by choice. Islam is growing because people are given jobs and payments, and some people are choosing because they want to. But did you know the fastest growing religious segment of people on the face of the earth right now? It's the crazy group of people called evangelical Christians. Now, you need to know evangelical Christians aren't monolithic. They're all stripes and colors of those of us who call that. I'm one of them. But for me, what it means is largely an absolute commitment to this word. I I stand with the word of God interpreting me, not standing over the word of God trying to interpret it. But it also means a desire for all the nations to know Jesus. That group of people empowered by the Holy Spirit are now 600 million strong. They're the fastest growing group in the world. And within a decade or two, most missiologists are predicting that evangelical Christians will become the largest Christian group in the world, surpassing the Catholics. Now, the reason for that is primarily because of the evangelism imperative that evangelical Christians feel. And most of you know I'm impassioned by that. And you just need to know that where the faithful proclamation of the gospel is taking place, there's an explosion of Christians coming to faith. And even in the Mideast right now, when Meryl and I were in Lebanon talking with Syrian Muslims, did you know that dozens of them We had them raise their hands. Dozens of them are seeing visions of Jesus. He's appearing in dreams. He's telling them things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and they're believing in him. Which begs me to ask you these final two questions. Does the kingdom live in you? Does Jesus have reign which is what the kingdom means, in your heart? Is he the master passion of your soul? If so, there are obstacles that you face, (laughs) the devil, (laughs) 
the world's system of godless values and this body, which you still live in, right? Still has urges and lusts. There's still an obstacle, but he's greater than the obstacle. Does he live in you? And secondly, how are you advancing the kingdom through you? There are two aspects to the kingdom, Christ in you, then flowing through you. Is there anybody you've ever brought to faith in Christ? Anyone? How about your prayer life? Is it praying for the kingdom to expand? Are you crucifying pride and replacing it with humility? That's the kingdom. Are you more of a giver or a getter? Look at your checkbook. It'll show you. When you go into your office place, is there enough evidence about who you are in Christ that others would know about it? In other words, if you were put on trial for your Christian faith, would there be enough evidence to convict you? How are you advancing the kingdom? Caring for people in trafficking the poor, the needy, the hungry, the oppressed. I'm not sure which interpretation is right. I tend to believe both of them are, but I can assure you of this. Both of them talk about the growth of the kingdom with obstacles. And people who follow Jesus should be a part of that growth. Are you? You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio to have a conversation about what makes cowards of us all. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope, David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, we all have been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen, and that kind of grew into the Dream Center. And the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bud? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Thomas Burrow and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals and, and we just thank you moments of hope and just this couldn't be this wouldn't be possible without you guys and you know uh the, the first call we made uh when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the moments of hope and it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes and so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um everything you all do for us and for the kingdom and not only that but you uh, also set into our kitchen in the dream center now this week started producing meals there and as the restaurants open back up all the meals will shift to the dream center with the kitchen you helped us do so we're so grateful you guys god bless you god bless moments of hope and we just 
pray an unlimited return and harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great being with you, Jen. Well, David, you recently wrote that quote, fatigue makes cowards of us all. How does that work? Well, it's a phrase that I've heard many times from many different places. For example, U.S. Army General George Patton wrote to his troops during World War II, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Men in condition do not tire. Uh, Vince Lombardi, the famous coach of the Green Bay Packers in football jargon, agreed and motivated his players by saying it this way, you've got to keep yourself in prime physical condition because fatigue makes cowards of us all. To my understanding, it was one of Winston Churchill's favorite quotes as well. So why is fatigue such a problem? Why do the trials in our lives suddenly grow into giants when we're weary? Why does exhaustion cause us to make mountains out of molehills? It's simple, really. Our bodies are connected to our mind and emotions. When our bodies become tired, our minds become drained. We can't think clearly, and maintaining an optimistic attitude is nearly impossible. Subsequently, our circumstances seem to be worse than they really are. So how do we conquer fatigue? We rest. Be still and know that I am God, the psalmist said in Psalm 46.10. We believe that God is in control of everything. Consequently, we can lay our weary heads on our pillows at night and rest. Hmm. Though we may sleep, God never does sleep, Psalm 121.4. Therefore, we can sleep knowing God never does sleep, overseeing our lives perfectly. Therefore, listeners get plenty of sleep every night, ideally seven to eight, maybe even more hours per night. It's during this time that God restores your body, your mind, and your soul. Mm -hmm. Then when you wake up in the morning feeling rested and refreshed, you're conditioning your body and mind to fight the good fight, and you're able to do so feeling invigorated, ready to go, excited to tackle your day, Remember, dear friends, to rest. Why? Because fatigue makes cowards of us all. That's so good. I feel like this is kind of a a really good word for this season as we're I think we're inching out of COVID times. but I hope so. <laughs> I mean, when your emotions, though, when you start to magnify the fear and all that stuff, you your body can actually, and I can say this, you can start feeling like you're having symptoms of COVID right. and not actually have it. So, and people have been fearful about exercising outside. Yeah. Uh, you see people even outside with masks sometimes on in the clean air. And you're just wondering, Lord, is that the way your body can best be refreshed? I think COVID has caused all of us to be enclosed, fearful. And at some point, Jen, we've got to get outside and start exercising mm-hmm. this body, moving it again, because we know our body is inextricably connected to yeah. our souls and our minds. So exercise the body, it will make your mind stronger as well. Well, this is so good. So enlightening. Thank you so much for these thoughts today. Yeah. And thank you listeners for joining us today. Let me exhort all of you once again, take care of that body, exercise it well, get good sleep at night, drink lots of water, eat good food, because what goes on physically affects you mentally and emotionally. And be careful that you realize this great truth. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. If you would like to receive 
receive a daily Davidism from me, some truths I've learned from God's Word and through life, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. Subscribe there. They will enter your inbox every morning at 7 a.m. They are free of charge. They're my gift to you so that you can start each day with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also, check out David's weekly Hopecast, They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking that you reach out and connect with a lost friend.